All right. Welcome, everybody, uh, to our latest uh, edition of Sour and Sass. Today, I'm joined by a revolutionary, I'm going to use that word, uh, named Gonto. Uh, he believes in the marriage of engineering and marketing, and I actually do, too. So very excited to chat with him. Uh, welcome to be here, Gonto. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting. I'm very happy to be here, and I'm happy you didn't say the full last name Gontonitas because everybody butchers it. I, I don't even know exactly how to say it. <laughs> yeah, my name's Mergut, so good luck, right? Like, we're in this together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you for being here. Now, you're kind of pioneering this idea of taking the best parts of engineering, and I believe you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but kind of believe that sometimes when I was reading some of your blog posts, marketing's been a little foo-foo and madman-esque and you're kind of technical engineering. You think marketing needs some maturing. So can you walk everybody maybe through what your approach is to marketing with an engineering background and kind of what you're pioneering? 100%. I always say that I'm doing marketing, but I don't really know what marketing is. Um, from my perspective, at least, I've seen a lot of marketing be more like mad men, as you're saying, like where people get a whiskey, a cigar, and they're like, this is the message that is going to work. This is the thing that we should say. And then they just try it out, and that's it. And yeah. if you think about that, it's like there are some people that are brilliant at running, but it's hard to get it right the first time, and it's hard to do and grow a company without measuring things. I'm more on the opposite side. So I'm an engineer, and I was tasked with running marketing at Outsidio. I had no fucking idea what marketing was. So for me, it was around, okay, we need to try things, we need to measure them, and we need to continue the things that work and then stop the things that don't work and just iterate and work based off of that. So it wasn't really conscious, this engineering approach to marketing, but it's more about like, I studied system engineering, I was a programmer for most of my careers. So the main thing that I did is apply the engineering concepts that I had to a problem that in my case was marketing um, and looking on how to solve it. So I'm a big believer in using data for marketing and for everything because now everything can be measurable. So we should start yeah. doing that instead of just, yeah, this is the thing that's going to work. I love your take there, Kanto. Now, are you familiar with Growth Hackers and their product and kind of how they're trying to pioneer a lot of what you're communicating? Have you? What's your take on that product? Do you think that helps maybe someone who, they, they're not an engineer, right? So a lot of people listening are like, yeah, man, this sounds great. I want to test everything. I want to be more iterative but they don't know how to go from A to B. How do you think they can start going down that path? I think that they don't even like have to use a product. It's more about like a thinking model. It's more about, for example, starting with looking at data from the product, for example, looking at quantitative data, like how many people are visiting your site? How many of them are converting to signups? What pages are they going through? What message is working? What message is not working? And like mesh that together with some qualitative interviews. Like I'm a big fan of, talking to people just to understand their habits, to understand like where you can um, experiment. So for example, in the beginning, I always meet with a lot of people from the target persona and I tell them, look, I'm not gonna tell you anything about the company. I'm not gonna tell you anything about Auxilio in my case, but I'm gonna ask you like, when you want to learn about authentication, which is the core product of Auxilio, like how do you do that? Do you go to a meetup? Do you Google it? Like what apps do you use in the computer? What apps do you use in the mobile phone? And based on the behaviors of people and the data that you have, you can start thinking about to ex how to experiment. And I think that the first step to start is making sure that you use always the same phrase for the hypothesis, because that will force you to think about, for example, 
what data do you use qualitative and quantitative to come up with this hypothesis of something needs to improve? What is yeah. the goal? What is the KPI that you're gonna use to measure? What is the time frame and why? And I think that that to me is the first start. Second thing that is important is understanding that failure is not trying and not learning. Like a lot of people feel that failure is, I tried something, it didn't write the results that I wanted, it didn't increase my signups. And I don't think that's the case. The case is more about, look, I've done something, I've worked on this, and I learned something new. And based on that learning, I can have a better next idea. There's a HBR from Harvard, like a yeah. business paper that was saying that usually one in every 13 ideas is right, meaning that 12 are crap. And if you think more about it, what they were saying is if you learn from previous experiments, then it moves to one in seven. So then if yep. you learned actually, yep. still most of your ideas are crap, but at least you're gonna get there faster. So to me, it's more about that rather than using a tool or a product. It's about having this mental model or I need to learn that only failure if I don't learn and making sure that I use data to come up with hypotheses where I can continually improve. So I love that. Now, one of the people are like, yeah, that sounds great, Gonzo. I love that. But I might not have the same executive team you have. So failure isn't quite as acceptable in my environment. And a lot of marketers are good. Let me, let me replace. A lot of people who are leaders in marketing have gotten there because they're good at the game more than they are good at marketing. So yes. how do you balance career growth and launching a variety of tests when maybe most CEOs' expectations of the CMO is a 75% success rate, yet the HBR thing you're talking about is communicating a less than 1% success rate? So how do we bridge that gap of creating executive buy-in for more iterative testing in your mind? Something that I do a lot with companies that I advise is showing that you can start small. So for example, something that you can do is instead of starting experimentation in the most critical area where you need to show success, maybe you start with something that is secondary. And then you start experimenting that where, while you continue doing what you do. And then once you do that, you'll be able to show, look, the first six experiments that I did failed, but this seventh was like a big success. And now we know this much information that the next one is gonna be better because then you're gonna have data. And I think that with data to prove like, look, this approach works, that's something that then you can start pushing and using um, for other things as well. That's thing number one, I would say. Thing number two is connecting your executive team with other executive teams that are actually doing something like this. So for example, mm -hmm. something that I focused on is um, Atlassian, for example. They are a company that do a lot of experimentation and focus on growth and stuff like that. So you can, you can connect. Exactly. And if you can connect with somebody from them, then I think it's easier because like, look, that's a very successful company. They have IPO, they are huge. And this is the approach that they take. So I think that with that, you can also do a bit more um, of patterns matching. So to sum it up, I would say, start small, use the data to prove it, and then talk to other peers who have been successful so they can inform more um, of your executive team about it. I love that, Ganto. Now, it is sour in SaaS. So do you have anything sour in front of you maybe? I do. I have my gin tonic with cucumber and lime, which is the closest that I have for sour, even though it's um, 4 p.m. here, but I decided to start drinking. Well, I'm jealous because this is not as good as a GNT. So here we go. <laughs> I'm doing this alone. So, oh, it's sour. It's so sour. Now, I love your approach. 
I've always been hypothesis driven, data centric, but I haven't always experienced my greatest breakthroughs from that because experimentation through the lens of what you're communicating, which is iterative testing, can sometimes conflict with big ideas. And what I've found for myself is my biggest ideas that are most successful that have changed my business are always related to psychology in the sense of understanding the transaction of value that we're doing in marketing, right? Like how can I decrease psychological friction with someone taking an action and increase perceived and real value to encourage more of that action? And from that, we can get big ideas. Like one of the big ideas we're doing today is gift giving. What if I took 100% of my budget that I was giving to a platform to drive a lead from Google ads and I gave 75 for the platform and 25 back to the prospect and that 25% created leverage by increasing conversion rate where I have more elasticity than I do on cost per acquisition due to the fixed floor of a CPC, right? So really getting into this meat and potatoes of real marketing. So how can people take this iterative approach? Yet also, if you know CRO, you know that the best tests aren't changing a button from red to green, but doing wildly drastic tests that test entirely different value propositions and experiences. So how do we get from iterative testing to big ideas? How do we, how do we kind of bridge that gap? What's your take? So from my take, like what we do, for example, is we always focus on what we call big bets, medium bets, and small bets. Like I see this as gambling. Like I'm going to gamble with things. I'm going to try which ones. And what we do is we always say every quarter, we're going to do 10% big bets, 50% small bets, and then 40% medium bets or something like that. And how many we do depends on the growth that we need. So if we need a step change, as you're saying, we might focus more on big bets than in medium and small bets. But we actually are very careful when we think about the experiments on two things. One is separate into these big, small, and medium bets. And then the other thing that we do is we have what we call like a growth model. And the growth model is like step-by-step step for every main growth loop. So basically every loop that gets people to come to the site and register, like what are the milestones? What are the conversions in each step? So then when we are thinking about an idea, we say, okay, what step will this influence and how much do we think it's going to influence? And based off of that, we can see what is the potential impact in the bottom line. So in a big bet, we expect at least a growth of like 20 or 30% in the bottom line. In a small bet, we expect less. So we use this categorization of thinking what step it's going to impact, how that, that impacts the bottom line, and then based off of that, separating into this big, medium, and small bet. But I think it's about being very conscious um, on that specifically. I do also agree with you on this idea of the psychology. So we actually do, for example, a lot of tests on that. There's a company called Reforge that came up with a model that I really like that's called Elmer, which is emotion, emotion, logic, motivation, reward. And it's this idea that the main message has to be emotional, but then people don't like thinking that they make decisions emotionally, even though they do. So then you give them logic to back up their emotion and they feel better. You need the motivation to try the product or to convert and then a reward once they've done it. So we also do like a lot of tests that are focused on that, but we A-B test one that is more emotional, one that is not, to actually see if it performs better or if it doesn't. In general, they do, but at least we test it out for different audiences. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, 
This is a, I want to get your take on this because sometimes our biggest things that we do as marketers are related to things we can't always measure. So let me walk you through this and I want to hear what your take is. And maybe you've broken through because I, I struggle here. I believe that brand and awareness deserves a separate line item in a marketing budget. So I believe that you have two budgets in marketing where you have revenue marketing and you have brand marketing. One of them has to have an efficiency metric, like an LTV CAC of three or greater, and that's the revenue marketing. And then one, if you require a three to one LTV CAC metric, could never actually work. And I've always struggled to figure out how to measure it. So I'd love to hear from you today is how do you think about long-term things? Like essentially, if I can grow direct traffic, by increasing brand affinity and awareness, I can lower my CPA over the next three years and create increasing marginal returns and increase budget available for revenue marketing because I have this efficiency. But if I like, if I only invest in revenue marketing, I experience diminishing marginal returns because I cannot raise average order value greater than new competitors entering the marketplace and increasing my CPA. And so I do experience diminishing marginal returns on revenue and I have increasing on brand, yet 99.9% .9 of SaaS people, because I work with publicly and privately traded companies, do not invest in brand marketing. And so how do we bridge this and add a level of sophistication in your mind to brand marketing and separate it from revenue marketing so we're not measuring it the same? Like, what does that look like in your mind? So first of all, I agree that there are things that are harder to measure or impossible to measure and you should invest anyway, for example, we have a brand marketing team, even though it's sort of new, it started one year and a half ago, and we started to invest more in these kind of things. How we measure brand marketing is um, like two main different ways. One is we actually do a big brand survey every six months where we pay like 60 bucks. We look for the specific roles, specific regions, and then we ask them, are you aware? Are you aware, but evaluated? Wow. Have you evaluated and decided? So we try to look at what is the growth that we have had we have had in six months in our brand to at least get something directionally. It's not immediate because it takes six months or something like that, but it's one way that we do this. The other one is- that, Before we go to the second one, who do you use for that? Um, I don't remember the name of the agency, but I can actually send it to you and we can send it to the listeners afterwards. But we use basically a known agency. Yeah, exactly, to help with that. Um, so that's one. The second one is when we are thinking about brand, it means that we want to be known in certain like um, spheres of places. It could be with VPs of engineering of this type of companies in our case, or VPs of product or this type of other companies. So what we look at is, for example, who are the thought leaders in that place? And it's more of a qualitative milestone, but it's like, have they shared in Twitter or LinkedIn some of our content? Have they invited us to a specific podcast? Have we, for example, been in a specific technology mentioned by X number of people? So to give you an example, like we work a lot on content marketing and we work one because we're authentication for developers, we were like one framework at a time. We started with AngularJS and our measure of success was we are basically going to be writing content for AngularJS, but then we're going to be trying to work with who are the thought leaders in this space. And our objective was 
for at least 80% of the thought leaders to at least share one article from Outzero explaining authentication in AngularJS or stuff like that, which doesn't use Outzero, but puts us in a thought leadership space. Because then once we are there, people will ask us questions for authentication. And if it makes sense, they will use Outzero. If not, it's they are not, but that's okay. We're still a thought leader. So we tried to do that on different spheres to also measure like what was our reach based on this qualitative uh, measure of who has shared, how many times, and what is their reach as sort of a proxy to understand are we getting to the right um, people um, by that? I like that. Now, that's, I mean, that's honestly, Gonto, it's a, it's a really great answer. And I think the measuring from your total addressable market brand awareness is a, I think a critical piece. Now, what I'm curious about too, right? Your marketing and growth. And I think the growth part is important in your role and what you do. I've noticed that as marketers, and this is maybe introspective, as we mature and as I've matured as a marketer, I focus less on acquisition and more on activation. I focus less on new customers and more on my current customers. And I get to this point, because I also know if you're good on the finance side, you start to see better gross margins, better cash on cash returns. You see better return on capital employed from investing in activation than you do in acquisition. Now, with that being said, do you have any tips here for people who are thinking about, hey, look, you know, we're spending all this money on acquisition. We got all these budgets. How can they start to do a better job focusing on activation? And are there any things that you think every SaaS firm has to have in place to get activation from trial to customer, right? The whole world's going to developer-led growth, right? Like we're working with Sumo Logic. We're working with a company I can't say right now in the publicly traded space that's massive, right? And they're going to, everybody's pivoting to this developer-led growth. How do we activate developers better? And I see Auth0 kind of has this thing, but it's still kind of sales-led growth instead of engineering-led growth in place. And I was kind of prepping and I wanted to see, okay, what's Auth0 doing here? Because you guys are kind of doing this like add your email, but then it still goes to a like gate, right? So like, what do we all need to be aware of in this world where we're going to developer-led growth? What have you learned on activating developers? What should we be aware of? So I think that, as you mentioned, like the maturity of the company will make you so that you start focusing on different things. I think you always start with awareness, then acquisition. Because the reality is that if it looks like a funnel, even though I don't think it's exactly a funnel, if you have more in the beginning, you will have more in the end. But then it's getting, it gets harder to acquire customers. So then we start focusing on activation. And then once you have good activation, you focus on habit formation. And then eventually, I think, on pricing as well, because I will optimize um, how much you get from people. So I think that moving through those steps definitely makes sense. For activation, I think that the main things that I would think about is, one, is always start by picking, like, what are your North Star metrics, as everybody calls it. So what we said is, for example, what is the aha moment metric? And then what is the habit moment metric? So aha moment is, like, when is it the time that they experience something in the product, it's a feature or something, where after that, they at least get retained for eight months. And then the habit metric is like all that. What's the moment exactly. of value? Exactly. Yeah. It's the moment of value. And then from there, habit formation is how often do they need to fill that value month over month so that they stay retained there? So that I think was something that was important to, to us. To give you an example for Outzero, it's about what we call um, non-try active users. 
So it's about getting users to log in through your application that you have just implemented. And the number that we need is we need them to get, for example, to 10 active users in usually the first week. So if they get to that, very likely they're going to stay for eight months. And we look at like, OK, now that we know that, what do we need to set that up? And what we saw, for example, is that to get it running in one week, it's usually not just one developer that does it. It's maybe when they have two or three or something like that. So we focus on them inviting other people. We focus on them setting up the SDK. So we, we now have something much easier to determine a proxy for revenue. Getting revenue for a B2B SaaS takes months sometimes, yep. even if it's a service. So getting to something where in a week we can sort of know, I think has, has been great. So I think that that's definitely the first thing that I would think about. And then once you have that value metric, which in our case is active users and 10, I think that the other important thing is to draw like a retention curve of a cohort, meaning first hour, how many people like get an active user? How many in one day, one week, one month, et cetera? And it should look like a smiley face. Basically, in the beginning, you have a lot. You drop a bunch in the beginning in activation. That's always typical. But then from there, people are retained, and then they are start using more and more users. If your, if your graphic doesn't look like that, there's something broken. And you can look at what exactly is broken. So if you have like a big drop in the beginning, that means that it's activation problem. So maybe it's about focusing on the onboarding. If it yeah. drops in the middle, maybe it's they got to the value moment, but then you couldn't get them to stick. So maybe it's more about something in retention. Um, so I think that looking at this chart also makes you better think in which part um, of all of this funnel or this process um, you should focus on. I love that. Now, this this is where I have this idea, and I want to get your feedback on it because I haven't seen anyone do it yet, and maybe you're one of the people doing it, but I'm excited about it. So I not only get to do marketing, I do a lot in sales. So my direct report is the head of sales as well as the head of sales development as well as the head of marketing. So I kind of manage all three departments on the growth end. And I've been doing a lot of learning and reading, and I've been reading all this stuff by Winning by Design. Have you ever read Winning by Design? Nope. Okay. The best book I've ever read on learning SaaS sales. So highly recommend it for everybody listening, okay? It really helps expand your knowledge. Now, their whole concept and where you see SaaS today is land and explained. In other words, you, you get people in the door, and then you try to get them from zero seats to 10 seats or whatever that is as fast as humanly possible because you have better return on your capital once again. Okay, It's easier to have a higher close rate, max. One of the hard parts about marketing is maximizing investment so that every, because a lot of times, right, like Auth0 might have a 100 seat minimum. And so you have to try to close 100 seats. Well, they're saying, well, let's close five and then do a really good job of getting them to 95 profitably. Right. And that's a lot of where. SaaS is going because it's working. Now, marketing hasn't caught up. So what I am advocating for, and I haven't even had a client I've been able to do this with, but I believe in it hypothetically, and I'd love to get your take on it, is that if I could take their heap, their pendo, or their mix panel, and I could use segment to and create essentially a database, a pipeline, I could start doing post-close marketing to create seat expansion outside of in-app. Everyone's still doing it in-app like you talked about, but I'm saying out of app, how do I get an organization from 10 seats to 100 seats? And how do I dedicate a lot more budget to expansion, right? We have CS teams for that. We might have AEs dedicated post-sale to that. 
But marketing, for whatever godforsaken reason, across all these companies we're working with, seems to be very concerned with up to opportunity on the immature companies, the more mature companies up to customer close, but there's not very many I've met that are thinking post close of using digital to expand where they're gonna technically have the best gross margin and the best return on capital. What's your take on that? Have you tried that? Do you know anyone doing that? What's been your experience? So we, we do have something for expansion. We have like two main metrics, I would say. We have one that is pipeline, so opportunities times the ASP um, for new businesses, but then we are also measured on expansion. And what we do for that is we have a team that's customer marketing, and that team basically focuses exactly on what you were saying. What they do, for example, is they focus on nurture, on emails to send to existing customers on like analytics, what they are using, what they are not using, and why they are not using um, those things. They focus on sending direct mail to existing customers. They focus, for example, something we're going to be trying now in the next few months is like an enterprise hackathon where we get our champion to invite other teams and we do a hackathon with all of them. And in exchange, we give like a free conference tickets and a flight to our champion or something like that for helping us out. So we do a lot of focus on that. And the interesting and main thing is there's expansion that happens organically. Like you get more users. We um, are not measured by that. So what we do is we look at expansion that is driven by marketing in either new use cases, new applications, or no or new business um, new business units. And we measure that in Salesforce. And we actually, for us, we do attribution manually, where we look at all expansion opportunities every every week. And we look at like what was the catalyst, was it marketing? And by it's a lot of work, but it makes yeah. it the attribution accurate. And it also helps because we really know what's going on and we really yeah. know what worked and what didn't work. So it actually yeah. helped us also to um, iterate and improve. So I, I, I do believe that's something that all companies should focus on. I do have to say we created a customer marketing team two years ago now. We're a six-year company. So it's in our latest third, actually seven years. So our latest third, actually. But for us, it was acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. And once you have a lot of customers, like we have now more than 9,000, it's like, OK, how can we make a big chunk of our revenue come from expanding okay. existing customers? And that's when we started focusing on this customer marketing team. And what we have is the customer marketing is sort of like a virtual team or a virtual pod where we have some people from demand gen, some people from product marketing that are helping out, and then getting feedback from CS, for example, from the technical account managers or from the strategic account reps that stay with, with an account. But I think that yeah. having a team that focuses on that has been key uh, for us to drive results in, in expansion. 100%. No, I love your take on that. Have you also done anything uh, with success around um, taking your best product users, essentially building cohorts or like lists from them, and then using that to create lookalikes? Have you done anything where you're taking essentially, because to me, right, a lot of the stuff that comes next in a mature company like yours is all customer growth driven because it's that low hanging fruit where you're going to have increasing marginal returns instead of trying to spend another 10 grand on Google ads because you have to expand your keyword set. And when you expand keyword sets and you're already maxed on search impression share, you usually see diminishing returns. So I didn't know if you guys are doing anything there, but okay, interesting. Very, very I, cool. I, I don't, I love the idea. I don't think we're doing something on that specifically. The only thing that we're working on is like a champion program where if our yeah. champion for any deal changes role inside the company or changes to another company, we engage with them and contact them to see if in the new company or the new business units, they want to use us. 
that's what we yeah. do more for advocate hub or case studies but i don't think we've done like lookalikes or something like that but i think it's a great idea to, to try okay no i love that i love that well as we're closing up today ganto i think this has been a really amazing talk around something that if you go to a conference and there's 30 talks you might have one person talk about this and it's usually a very well received talk but for whatever reason people struggle to do it so if we're leaving this conversation today what's the one advice you have because i think everyone who hears this is going to say i want to do that i know why i should be doing that but i think they struggle to get from their current thing to action and then then the hardest part is maintaining it's really easy to kind of do this fun thing you get set up on growth hackers you do like three or four tests the first quarter and then two quarters later you're running out of momentum so how can people get started and then keep momentum in your mind i think that to start it's starting small you maybe start with a team of two or three or something like that in a very specific problem and then keep on iterating i think that's one and then to maintain it i actually think that the main reason why it stopped is because you really don't accept failure i think a lot of companies say that they accept failure but then when something doesn't work it's like what the fuck did you do why doesn't it work and stuff like that instead of yeah. asking them did you learn something what can we do with the learnings and i think that that kills any experimentation program a lot of times it's not conscious it's something that just happens but i think yeah. making a big big focus on failure and that failure is okay and it's all about learning i think is another thing and then finally we actually have we do, we do OKRs on number of experiments that we want running in a given quarter, for example. And the other thing is, for example, every time we launch a new web page or we replace a web page or we replace a navigation, it must be an A-B test. So any change we do on a, on a website, it's always an A-B test. And I think that just thinking of that, we'll also drive experiments in other places because we're starting with some benevolent dictatorship on mandates on things that we must do. I love it. Well, thank you, Gonto. That is amazing. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, for anyone who wants to follow you, learn more about this, uh, where can they go? So learn more about growth in general. I would say like Reforge is a great website to check it out. As you can see, you can look at my Twitter, mgonto. So if you want to um, follow me and increase my ego and learn a bit more about growth, you can also um, go there. But I, I'm happy to talk and engage with everybody. And thank you for inviting. It was an awesome conversation. Oh, thank you. Well, everybody, that's Gonto and that's Sour and Sass. Have a good day.